This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, we'll buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turn to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Nova Day, and today we're going to be talking about art in painting, actually, examining Michelangelo's work in the Sistine Chapel. And when we talk about the Sistine Chapel and Michelangelo, we're specifically talking about what he did in the ceiling and what he did behind the altar known as the Last Judgment. Today, I'm again joined by one of our executive contributors, the man himself. He needs the official, long-winded, beautiful name that he has, and that is Saint Leopold Augustus Theodore Buck. Welcome, Mr. Buck. Thank you. Thank you. I am the Sybil of the Rockies. Yes. Um, I, I I made it a point to say your full official sainthooded name because this Sistine Chapel is an actual chapel. If you don't know what the Sistine Chapel is, of course, before we can talk about anything, we, we're going to need a little background. The Sistine Chapel is a literal chapel in the Apostolic Palace of Vatican City. So this is the official residence of the Pope. Now this show, if you've listened to us before, is not a religious show ever. It's not a political show. It's not a religious show. What are we, T-Buck? We're just, we're just here to have fun and party. <laughs> we're a goddamn art show, too. We're an okay? art show. That's what I meant. Now, on uh, at the ceiling is Michelangelo's specific work. And if you didn't know this, so when I was a kid and I learned about this like in art history class and things like that, I actually thought it was all done by Michelangelo. That is incorrect. Uh, it's only the ceiling and what he did behind the altar known as the Last Judgment, uh, whereas the walls uh, were done by a lot of other contemporaries during this time. And that includes uh, such artists as Sandro Botticelli, I'm probably going to butcher some names, so bear with me, Domenico Ghirlandio, and Pietro per Perugino. Now, they did a lot of the walls, and they did a lot of, they also was some tapestries by Ra Raphael. Yeah, and, and it was a very, um, the, the architecture of the chapel is, is very interesting. It's, it's actually built very similar to um, a lot of the medieval structures that are, are uh, chapels that were actually also used as fortifications. So it very much does look like that. Yeah. And uh, now we're going to be focusing, focusing on Michelangelo's pieces specifically because, my God, just doing the research for the show and uh, really examining his particular contributions to the chapel. Yeah. It's, again, like we've said before and like what we like to focus on and research and talk to you guys about is it's one of the greatest pieces of all time can i also mention one thing about michelangelo please um, before we start yeah my favorite ninja turtle i when i was talking to my wife uh earlier about talking about this particular show i said that i was like all the renaissance uh, artists of this time always makes me think of the ninja turtles just by name because yeah. so. you know splinter he he named them after all of his favorite renaissance artists, artists. 
Yeah, of his time. Uh, and it's he's, he's cultured and new karate. He's cultured and <laughs> and he could kick so he much. He could kick ass. your ass. So much watch ass. out, Shredder. What's amazing about this piece is that I hate to I hate to uh, get a little philosophical, maybe a little deep, but yeah, it there's something about the piece that makes me. It made me realize that we can do anything. You know, if you, if you yeah. ever get the the pleasure, and I've gotten the pleasure of seeing this in person in Vatican flex. City in the chapel, hard flex is you're going to be hit with a moment of silence. It's a moment of awe because, again, it reminds you that the human condition knows no bounds. You know, yeah. it makes you it makes you remember and makes you realize that we can do fucking anything so let's talk about this guy that was uh that was my really deep-hearted yeah thesis now to really understand the ceiling you have to understand this and that is frescoes so this is a very unique style of painting the fresco is essentially a mural style of painting that's executed by applying freshly laid lime plaster onto a wall now after this water is then used as the vehicle for the dry powder pigment to merge with the plaster and become part of the wall itself so this is unique because uh, t-buck you can probably talk more to this it does not leave a lot of room for error no, you you have you have your fighting chance within the time that it's it, it can actually be painted on. And then when it's finished, you either have to destroy it or you can't just repaint over it. Right. Yeah, you, you can't. And, and, and what's funny, too, is that actually before he came in and painted the ceiling, it was actually already painted before it was. Uh, right. I think it was blue stars or it's a blue sky with stars or something like that. Um, but, yeah, th- this this technique is is very difficult but you almost got the right guy to do it though yeah um because as we all know michelangelo was um he wasn't (laughs) if 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 you looked at him today and you told him oh you were a great painter he'd probably punch you in the face um because he did not want to be known as a as a painter he was he wanted to be known as a sculptor he was a sculptor and he he, and he came from didn't want to do it right he didn't even yeah he he, he didn't yeah so his okay so a little bit bit of background he did not want to do this chapel thing what he was really looking for uh he he wanted to sculpt this um this tomb for the the pope at the time and he actually was commissioned originally and and started the work and then um uh a lot of um the they diverted a lot of the funding from doing this uh tomb over to um basically um restoring the basilica saint peter's basilica and it totally pissed off Michelangelo he actually I think I believe he left Rome he was so upset about it <laughs> and went back Fuck and it guys. wasn't until I'm the out. Pope actually was like hey you, you come on uh, you gotta do this come on you gotta do this he kind of twisted his arm right I think historically yeah, yeah. kind of made him do it oh yeah, um, yeah. because uh, they have a lot of power they can do things yeah, like that. They, they still commissioned him they still paid him but that was even oh, yeah, a yeah. part of his reluctance because of problems with payment and things of that nature and uh, it was uh, so he didn't want to do it. Uh, he wasn't he was reluctant. But it's funny because when I was actually studying this particular part of his of his life, of his history, even though he had reservations, he still wanted to make it a little more complicated than it was it, its original vision. So there, there's such a dichotomy in him at one on one hand being reluctant but then when he actually is thinking about doing it he's like no we should do it this way and it's like incredibly complicated and intricate and and he's 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 an infamously meticulous painter yeah and he he definitely had this ego too about him like especially with his um sculpt sculpting when when he did david when he was commissioned to do that they actually they wanted to do this other sculptors they actually tried to commission for this and they were basically like this is too too much he basically came in was like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna make like the greatest sculpture ever (laughs) he did that's a that's a t-buck original michelangelo impression yeah, I was uh, like, like this I'm like coming in best. here and I'm going to make a <laughs> now I'm now I'm making him like a New York Italian. Maybe I shouldn't do that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to get the gob cool and then I'm going to go in there and make the greatest. Not, 
You nailed it, man. (laughs) You nailed it. So we did. uh, Let's pull it back. So Michelangelo did this uh, ceiling. So let's give uh, you guys, the good people out there, the lovers, some dates. All right. Let's let's frame this guy. So this is circa the the ceiling was about 1508, 1512. So 16th Mm -hmm. century. And then he took a little break before he did the Last Judgment in 1535 and 1541. Between 1535 and 1541. That's a pretty decent gap. Yeah. So, of course, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the ceiling first. Now, the ceiling is um, it's a a series of scenes that are specifically from the book of Genesis. Okay, so um, which is a little odd for a Catholic church. (laughs) Well, no, I'm serious. Okay. well, yeah, because I mean, there's there's really no New Testament references. I mean, it's all Old Testament. It's all from the book of Genesis. And we can get on to some of the pagan stuff too. That's that's yeah. Well, and this is the beauty I think of uh, talking about Michelangelo the person. A little bit of uh, our biographical sections is is uh, and especially with his reluctance is he put a lot of humor. He mixed in a lot of different actual uh, religious imagery, if you will, and not only from the Christian slash Catholic faith. And this pissed off a lot of people as well. And we'll get to that a little little later. But uh, the main scenes of the ceiling includes God dividing light from darkness, God creating the sun and the planets, God dividing the water from the, the earth, and of course, God creates Adam. Now, God creating Adam is probably the most recognizable piece of this gigantic painting it's of all time, prob- right? This yeah, is where Adam say... is touching, uh, or or I should probably say God is is putting, it's it's usually analyzed as putting life into man, into Adam, and he's touching him with his finger. Exactly. Yeah, and I would say probably right after the Mona Lisa, it's the second most recognizable uh, piece of art in the world. When I, uh, this is a little aside, pull our personal lives into these these episodes so when i saw this guy and of course they have a fucking gift shop like everything uh, mm-hmm. there is a little close-up print of just the hands touching i bought it yeah i framed oh, it you got that another flex i got i got that i got that in my house you got that <laughs> i got that frame I, I, I got that i got it man so from there um of course after the story of of adam um, Eve is created from his rib. And then there is the Adam and Eve story and uh, and how they're tempted and sent from Eden. And then this moves on to uh, Noah and his family making a sacrifice after the flood, the great flood itself. And of course, Noah being a drunk ass and disgraced. Those are the big ones. And then, of course, there's a lot of imagery around them. Uh, families, the Sibyls, uh, Jesus Christ! You even made a, a joke about this uh, in, our, in our pre in yeah. our pre tape convo that we could like spend like we could literally spend an entire hour long episode on like just one tiny little section of this piece. Yeah, to me, it's almost the more interesting. I, I and I and um, I know this sounds ridiculous, but to me, the symbols are almost a little bit more interesting in some respects. Uh, tell us why uh, I, we didn't talk well, about this in the pre in the pre show. Yeah, I, I mean, so basically, the, the prophets and sibyls is what they're called, um, which are basically they go around. So the main paintings that we're all very or pieces that we're very familiar with are in the center, and then around the edges you have these prophets and sibyls. <laughs> basically, sibyls were something that were used in the pagan church uh, prior to Christianity, um, and and they were basically prophets, the prophesizing mm. and. What his intention was, long story short here, was the Sibyls were basically included to symbolize that they were uh, prophesizing the coming of the Messiah, which would be Christ um, Mm -hmm. in this case, which, you know, like I said earlier, this is mainly Old Testament stuff that we're seeing in here. But that's how you kind of push that little, you know, more of the Christian belief in there that you know they were prophesizing but it's real interesting that he put these pagan sibyls in here which uh, i mean you know you're you're talking about the region and rome itself where a lot of the catholic a majority of the catholic church structure is based off of the roman pagan um church originally so it it's kind of a kickback to that a little bit but it's 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 pretty fascinating like like uh, Novo said, I, I could probably talk an hour about this. <laughs> so let's, uh, I think that's still like a really good segue to just yeah. talking about the piece itself. So uh, if you haven't already done this, boys and girls, uh, go ahead and if you're listening to this, 
not in the car, if you're just listening to it at home, uh, pull it up, uh, Google this, pull it up, and let's talk about it. Because uh, there is uh, approximately 300 figureheads in this piece. So there's a lot of imagery used through the human form. And I'm looking at it right now, and it is, like I said in the intro, in the thesis, it is just mesmerizing right magnificent yeah. now the use of color so let's talk about it from a pure objective artistic critique standpoint mm-hmm. so the use of color is excellent i mean uh the first word that pops in my head is balance everything looks so balanced in in and actually it wasn't until recently until they did a lot of re- the restoration and kind of cleaning of it did they actually realize how vivid the colors that were used you know over time things get dirty you know you, sure. you're talking about pre the smoke from the candles, the candles is the famous yeah, one yeah, yeah yeah that causes a you know over time that does these things a lot of and, muted colors so a lot of yeah so a lot of people thought it was it was muted at first and then when they did the this kind of cleaning it, it really started to pop and i mean even like i'm obviously i'm just looking at a photo of it you know but it um also the space so not only is it balanced with color but balanced with space obviously it's easy to do that with all of the the female and male forms and this is probably a good point to talk a little bit about uh michelangelo's famous uh uses of minutes and even during this time, this guy couldn't catch a fucking break. There was so much criticism about using nudes versus using someone in clothing or, or drapery that they actually had to go back and cover it up. If you even look at um, the women in, in a lot of this, they're, a lot of his paintings, or at least in the Sistine Chapel, they're yoked. They're huge. They're like, they have female features and forms, but they're... Well, because <laughs> I'm yeah. serious, but and and I'm not I'm not trying to make it so, but but what he did was he actually used mostly male models, um, sure to do even for the females and added the female form, but that's why they <laughs> have, jacked. yeah, that's why I said. <laughs> I mean, if you look at like uh, um, roided out and just looking, <laughs> well, a lot of the sibyls, like I, I think uh, I'm trying to remember which one the most famous one. Um, well, he did this uh, by design, too, because since it's on the ceiling, it has to create the illusion of scale, too. So it's not just balance and space. It's also scale because he's doing this on parts that curve and things like that. And so he has to actually make that balance and make them also fit into the piece cohesively. Yeah. And you can also see a lot of his like original kind of studies and in, in drawings that he used the models um, where he really focused on the intricate muscle structure and things like that. I'm excited that you you brought this up because I was listening to some biographies on him and what I didn't know, which I found quite fascinating, was he was a renowned anatomist. He knew the, I mean, it's clear that he often used muscular body types uh, to portray these. Obviously, these are easy to this is an easy choice, you know, yeah. in biblical imagery to use someone as perfect as God or Jesus or Adam and Eve, the first of its kind, as these perfect, very muscular beings. Um, but he also um, he studied anatomy through cadavers and all. And there is hints. And um, of course, everyone is looking for more than what meets the eye. And there is theories that he would hide little pieces of anatomy throughout the pieces, uh, throughout the entire collection of the ceiling works itself. And a a perfect example of this is if you have, anybody has this pulled up right now. uh, If you look at uh, the Adam, the creation of Adam piece, the the most famous one we were talking about, if you look at uh, his rendition of God around it is like, you know, angels, I think angels and uh, other entities and then a drapery and it and it it's supposed to recreate the human brain it's supposed to look like that and when you uh, actually yeah, turn your head yeah. and look at it a certain way you can really see it once you once you like have that in your head you can't that's what you see the whole time um now right. like no and he he was and he yeah and he he, he had a very interesting kind of upbringing um he, yeah he was very interested in, in anatomy just like another renaissance uh uh, artist as well leonardo da vinci who da vinci yes. did a lot of studying on that but yeah i i had heard that he he basically studied the anatomy of um of people uh corpses at, at the church while they were getting prepared to be buried 
so much until he got sick. Like he, mm. <laughs> it just, it caused him to start getting sick. And that's why he stopped that. But that's, I think that's where, you know, like all of his work of arts, like David, uh, this obviously that really helped kind of inform him of how the body works and, and how movements are. And that really informed him on, on how to basically not only sculpt with stone, but also sculpt with paint. Yes, exactly. Uh, now let's talk about, so we've talked about color. We've talked about uh, balance. Can we talk about like the, the framing of everything? Because it almost seems like we can move into that. It's it's image like there's no wasted space. There's no right? wasted space, but it it but the framing this it almost looks like it's part of the structure of yeah, the chapel. No, itself. I and he would he would actually paint. What I learned is uh, there was what is called illusionary architecture. So yes, he would paint yeah. pieces. Uh, he would paint architectural elements of the chapel into the piece itself. Mm-hmm to make it part of the work, which I found very fascinating. Because it, it gives that illusion that it's part of the, he's actually painting around features of the building, but they're just, you know, his paintings. Yeah, exactly. And there's, um, let's talk about, you know, we talk about movement a lot when we talk about painting and, and cinema and different things like that, different artistic um, forms, if you will. And it, uh, it's designed, I've read that, uh, and it really shines after I read it, it's it's designed to kind of, you know, you're supposed to kind of read it, you know, the scenes, and you can really read it front to back or back to front, yeah. or even, you know, it, it doesn't matter which, it's designed to be where, it doesn't matter where you start, your eye uh, will follow it in any direction you start from. And yeah. you can kind of, even if you start with Noah and go towards, you know, the creation of the universe. And in a way, it's still the same story. There's a cyc- cyclicalness to it. Yeah, and you see this a lot in in medieval Renaissance and Renaissance um, chapels and, and cathedrals. Um, and then later on, you see this in a lot of stained glass uh, work where it is, it, it is telling a story of some point. And, um, you know, I, I know, for example, from the cathedral where i i grew up in basically the 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 stained glass told the story you know of um the resurrection of christ and so you a lot of this kind of traditions especially in altar paintings and stuff like that they tell some sort of story um one of my most interesting ones that i've seen i'll 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 do a little flex because you 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 went out to like it's your it's your turn. Yeah, you know, I had two you, flexes. You've been to like all the like where everybody goes. I've been goes very blessed. Yes, been, I've been yeah. very blessed. And um, I come from a long line of people that love to travel. And as from a little kid, I was taken to all these amazing places. That's yeah. why. So no, but I, what I was going to say, another uh, really cool uh, Renaissance era work. Um, if you're ever in the city of Tallinn, um, it's a one of the Ooh, good, most that's a good medieval. Well-preserved medieval. You've traveled cities. more than me, though. When I yeah, think about but, it, I, I realize I was like, uh, you know, as we always joke here at time. NDP, uh, I know T. Book is the uh, international man of mystery. He's been all over the goddamn world, but most of the time uh, he I, just hasn't. He just hasn't been to Italy. I have That's, not been to Italy, but but I, needs, I go to go. It, it's mostly for business, you know. Uh, that's why I'm traveling, but. Anyway, the the Cathedral sure Saint Nicholas there they all say. has the dance macabre. Or dance okay. macabre, I can't. Yeah, I can't remember. Dance what's macabre, called. I think. I think yeah. it is dance macabre. Uh, not just the you know the song. I think the song is based off of some of the imagery on there or the musical piece. But um, but yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, behind the altar piece that you can go check out on uh, Tallinn. Um, I want to start drifting over to the Last Judgment because now I'm looking at a picture of the ceiling and the last judgment but i want to give you the last word if there's anything else you want to touch on on just the ceiling uh, scenes themselves i'm pulling it up here bueller <laughs> we don't know let's not have any dead air so i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about this before uh t-buck gets the last word and that is when you start to look at the piece so boys and girls go ahead and pull up now a picture of the ceiling and also the last judgment because what you're going to notice right away is that balance of color shifts right Mm -hmm. now we are slapped in the goddamn face with a lot of blue and a lot of peachy flush color those are it's a little monochromatic compared to the balanced color usage of the ceiling and uh, i think this is i mean michelangelo was 
clearly a genius for his times. And this was not by accident. This was by design. I think to allow both of them to really stand out, you know, next to each other. But also when we talk about The Last Judgment itself, it um, it creates a lot more movement when you're kind of isolating the subjects like that. And, and, and for really good reason, because uh, we need to talk about what the, again, this isn't a religious show, but we have to give context uh, of what The Last Judgment actually is. But T-Buck, do you have enough time to uh, get that last thought together? Yeah, you're talking about what The Last Judgment, what it means, what's the difference? Oh, no, I, well, I was saying uh, if you had anything else to say about the ceiling before we moved on to The Last Judgment. Yes. Um, do we have another hour? <laughs> Is this about the Sibyls again? It's Jesus about the Sibyls. No. Um, Jesus Christ. No, no. Um, no, I think I think it's a good point to move on to that. But I, I will say... Um, yeah, it, it, there's definitely a shift in tone and color when you're going from the ceiling yeah. to last judgment and also almost the organization. There, there's basically three, I would say three or four main areas that you kind of, your eyes are drawn to. Um, but it's, it's a totally seeing two different movies or two different paintings at this point. <laughs> two right. Different works so uh, let's give the good people a little context. So this is now on the, uh, I'm not sure of the direction, but this is on a main wall and this is behind the entire altar wall of the Sistine Chapel. Now it's depiction. And this is important too, in talking about it from an artistic standpoint is this is the depiction of the second coming of Christ and the final and eternal judgment by God and of all humanity. So uh, I believe in some doctrines, it's this is this is essentially the rapture. The rapture, they're coming for you. And um, like like we the said, end let's of days. talk about the end yes. is nigh. So uh, just looking at the piece, so I have it pulled up in a big big old screenshot here. Uh, yes, um, as T Buck was saying, there's a lot of points to that. You know that your eye will go to directly. Of course, it's like um, middle, middle superior. It's not quite middle, middle, but just yeah. above middle, just superior to middle. And that, of course, is Jesus. And I believe it's Mary Magdalene next to him. And Jesus, I think, what's fascinating right away is Jesus does not have the classical beard and the classical imagery from a lot of religious imagery. He no. is beardless. Um, uh, <laughs> Looks like he's benching about three fifty. Yeah, he's. <laughs> That was, that was perfect. The, the the guy is ripped. I, I always I always reminds me of a joke. Um, so this isn't mine. This is some stand up. Please tweet at us, whoever it is. He's like, when people talk about how ripped they want to be, they always say, I want to be ripped like Jesus. How ripped do you want to be? Uh, I want to be ripped like Jesus. So uh, that's how ripped I want to be. No pain, no gain. <laughs> so of course, uh, so yeah, he is... Um, the entire piece is, when I look at it, I'm going to shift to movement immediately because I feel like it is circular in a very clockwise motion, the movement of the piece. And, and that is by design from what I've researched, too, because on the left, the bottom left is angels pulling people from their graves uh, for the rapture to ascend to heaven. Uh, and then on the right, it's uh, people are being pulled down to hell. The damned. To, uh, and so that's why it has a very, yeah, very circular movement to the feel, to the to the overall tone and look of the piece. Now, again, we're uh, like I said, we we see a lot of blue, we saw a lot, see a lot of peachy flesh, and there's a lot of figureheads. I don't know how many are in this one. I know the ceilings are approximately three hundred, but we're seeing a lot of nudes again and of course these were it was commissioned by another artist to uh drape a lot of them with these <laughs> where do these drapes come from i think it's funny to look at because you're some of them come out of fucking nowhere yeah or like, like oh, they're i just got to cover up cover up the the twig and berries no no junk allowed no no yeah there's no room for uh no room for nudes nudes here. full frontal nudity in christ <laughs> Now, a fun fact, it was so fun to research this guy because there's a lot of fun facts. So the biggest critic of Michelangelo, uh, his name, uh, I'm I'm going to butcher this. It's like Cicena, something like Biagio that. Biagio Cicena. Cicena. Uh, he was the biggest critic of this piece for exactly that. Uh, your, your use of nudes is shameful. 
Uh, fuck you, Michelangelo. So what he did was, if you look up the bottom right in the area of the damned in hell, you'll see a very specific looking demon with donkey ears. Hmm. And that is supposed to be the demon Minos. Yeah. And he actually painted Sasena's face onto it. <laughs> what a fuck you. Yeah, that's 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 perfect. It's a perfect yeah. You can also find Michelangelo himself, as as they say, as the theory goes. I, I cannot uh I cannot completely claim or deny this, but um so center right, you're gonna see one of I believe the apostles, uh, I forget which one, um, and he's holding a kind of it looks like just a bag of his own skin or someone's skin and that face is michelangelo if you didn't know that no i that's something i didn't know saint saint bartholomew is it is that who it is yeah it's saint bartholomew displaying his own skin with the face of michelangelo yeah it's cool yeah so let's talk about okay so so all of these little thing again points to michelangelo's a little bit use of humor in that he, again, he he wasn't just commissioned to do exactly what they wanted. Remember, this guy is, uh, he was reluctant just to pull it around, pull it all around, round circle. And he never really consider, considered himself a true painter. I don't think we talked about that yet. Yeah. He always considered himself a sculptor. Yeah. He didn't, he wasn't really crazy about painting. I mean, that's a, an exaggeration. Yeah. He, clearly did to some extent and he was amazing at it but um and this is where just like again going around round circle to how he depicted jesus uh, there was a lot of things that he mixed it was a mixed bag of imagery of religious doctrine imagery and not just the true true you know gold standard of that time and that's why that's besides the nudes i think that's why he, he grew a lot of criticism and and you know it's Anytime you get you do anything with any of these subjects, um, I, I'd say today at least a little bit more tolerance. But pe- it, you know, it hits people's emotions and their heartstrings, and and they get a little, they get a little upset. They get a little, they get a little upset. Yeah, they, you know, they get a little if, upset. If you haven't been, you know, kind of watching the news lately, people get a little upset about religious stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it, it's a heated <laughs> thing and politics and politics. That's like to, yeah, and that's why I don't like to talk about it too yeah, much. Yeah, so. Show. I mean, yeah, if you, if you do something, I mean, you know, th- to be fair, you know, Christ probably didn't look like what we normally. Oh, God. Yeah. And not like. at all. <laughs> he, he was probably, you know, had short hair. He might have had a beard, but he was probably, you know, olive skin. You know what the, you know, people in that area in that region. Um, yeah. Uh, have, he wasn't but, white as bread. Yeah, he wasn't. <laughs> he, he wasn't Norwegian, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> wasn't this Anglo-Saxon look we give him a lot? Uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, but regardless, again, just looking at purely from an artistic standpoint, it's magnificent. I mean, I I I wish I could talk to him. You know, I wish we could uh, go back in time and be like, why why all the blue? Why I feel like he could have chosen anything. And that that is often debated uh, as to why he chose that um, versus a lot of other things and how he balanced so much of the color in just the ceiling pieces. I always want to, yeah, I always want to talk to these artists too because I think, especially with works like this, they are so um, studied and like just combed over with yeah. looking at what symbolism or what the intent was with some of these. I, you know, I wonder sometimes too, if you like actually sat down with a guy and he was like, why did I use so much blue? Well, I, I had a lot of blue paint paint, you know, <laughs> something like, yeah, that we want to, we want to find deep, deep fucking what would, you know, secrets there was a, in these things when it's just like, um, no, I just, I wanted it to be blue. It's, it's, I, there's no explanation. It's like, um, I, I remember like this when I was a kid really thinking about this. There was a MTV um, uh, reporter that was interviewing Soundgarden and he was asking um, Chris Cornell basically he's like, man, Black Hole Sun, Sun that the lyrics of that song really that spoke to me. Soundgarden what, song. what what does it mean? And Chris Cornell was like, I don't know. I just kind of put some things Put together some shit together <laughs> yeah and, it actually going back to uh, that actually reminds me going back to the whole anatomy discussion and how people are trying to find things like 
trying, you know, if you look hard enough, you can find anything, right? That's the human condition. We're always going to, if we truly want to find something that's in our head that we think is there, we're probably going to find it. And a lot of these uh, anatomists or, you know, neurological anatomists, things like that, that were looking for that kind of imagery in the ceiling pieces, there's a famous part of where someone is looking up and it's supposed to, I think, depict how um, Michelangelo actually painted the ceiling, which mm. is a lot. It, there's a misconception that he was on his back on scaffolding. It's yeah, actually I, been confirmed that he was standing and just looking up. I remember in school, people, our teachers would tell us he had to lay on his back. I remember, yeah, I remember there being like this lore and mythos to how he did this, too, and how the scaffolding worked. He laid and, on his back for 15 hours a day. <laughs> That's but yeah, I, that's all I remember that he was just standing and looking up. And then there's this piece that looks like that in the ceiling, um, or it could be in the last judgment. I actually don't remember. I just remember um, these bi biographers and these neurological anatomists talking about it because the neck is designed in a very strange way. And they mm. thought that was not more hidden imagery, anatomy imagery, specifically how, um, I think it was supposed to be the spinal cord or some stupid shit like that. And I remember someone like criticizing that and they said it like this. They're like, well, sometimes a neck is just a neck. Yeah. So. And, and, and let's not like there, there probably is some of that. There, there probably a lot is of, a lot of that in there, yeah. but I always like, well, it's I more always, fun, right? It's, yeah. the, it's the Da Vinci code. It's all that shit. Yeah, that, that's just what? the human condition. We have to find stories where there is no stories sometimes. To make it more fascinating to our minds. Was right? he one of the Knights Templars? Is he giving us more information about the Illuminati? I actually, I had this, um, I'm, again, a name, uh, people will remain nameless, but we had, um, I had roommates that had a very unique friend that was obsessed with the Da Vinci Code, and he actually gave me the book. I don't know if you remember the story. And he essentially made me read it. And um, if you're listening to this, uh, I never read it. I, I never actually. Right. I, it literally stayed on my it stayed on my end table for years <laughs> until I gave it back to you. Uh, so I think I'm the only person on the planet that's never read the Da Vinci Code because I, I just don't give a shit. I well, just don't care. I, I I just the only reason I did is because like I, I just remember I was in middle school or high school and just seeing there were books written about the book like decoding the Da Vinci Code. And stuff I, like that. And I'm like, what? What, okay. was, what the hell? Okay? What is this? I don't thing? know. It's kind of a little overrated. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was too. But I, I think that it was more of like a controversy thing because it totally pissed yeah. off the church. Uh, they're it, easy to piss off, though. Well, so. you know, and I was raised in in that. You that, coughed the wrong way. So was I. I coughed Remember? the wrong way. Oh yeah, yeah. No, like I'm saying, if they if someone coughs the wrong way, oh, yeah. and and like amongst the pope and cardinals, they're like. Yeah heresy oh yeah yeah and 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 i had a i i had a really cool priest that you know Didn't we would have some debates about a lot of things and just okay told me well that that's a rare well no i wouldn't say not, it's not yeah not he, rare he, but it's it's you're probably lucky to have I, been around I, yeah. someone like that a there was more there was there was another priest at the at the other uh, i believe church. in dialogue you yeah have that, to be able that, to dialogue and not not a fight not 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 a yelling match, yeah. a dialogue. Big he, difference. He, he definitely, if I told him my beliefs that I was having, would have like you know squealed to me to my parents and would have gotten in trouble. Ooh, but yeah, you yeah. don't want that. No, but the, he was cool. But you know, I had a lot of conversations about some of this stuff with him, and you know, I think you know it. It is it. Yeah, well, do not go. I don't want to go too in depth with this. Let's let's. Uh, you know what? It, it, we're, we're not a religious we did, podcast. We did not have a tangent corner. We've actually have been having the last three or four shows. I feel like we've been actually staying on target. And then oh, now I just realized I'm like, oh, we just did it again. But I, yeah. I like our tangent quarters. But we've been. I guess the point is we've been good. We've been good boys, and staying on topic for most of the uh, most of the show. I, well, uh, yeah. So I let's. Think we're we're. We're getting into the. We're, we're maturing. We're maturing. Yes. We're we're growing. Uh, our bodies are changing. <laughs> um, we're getting hair where there was not hair before. Yeah. <laughs> so my voice is getting deeper by the by the second. Uh, so let's pull it back. Let's do a novo pullback. Let's go back to the piece. Um, so fuck. It's there's 
again, we could spend an entire <laughs> show on just on little aspects of this, right? But yeah. we have to uh, let's let's go through the big ones, okay? One, the big ones are color, balance, subject, space, and movement. Okay, mm-hmm. so we already went over color. The balancing is the balancing is a little asymmetrical to me. I don't think it's as balanced as the ceiling because right in the right, like there's a big band over pretty much of people over Jesus. And then it's a little more sporadic, but I think that actually helps with the movement. I think that makes that circular movement a little more, a little more, well, I can actually see parts that are cut out to create the circle effect Hmm. now that I'm really analyzing it. And, and then the subjects, there's just a lot of, there's everybody and your fucking mom in this piece. So it, it's, it's got a lot going on. (laughs) It's it's, it's everyone and your dad and your uncle. (laughs) Well, I mean, your it's... nephew Rocky, <laughs> little little nephew Rocky, little, little Rocky, little, little... <laughs> <laughs> pulling shit out of my ass. No, but I mean, it it really it's this is one you know the ceiling. I think you could stare at it and get a crick in your neck. You know, cut and um, people can't see me doing this, but I'm I'm looking up. But you know, you do that, and you you can kind of get everything by looking at it. I would say in a shorter time period, whereas you would be staring at this. And kind of taking it in for a while, uh, just to I to I, well, I would argue the other one would be that way. Uh, if yeah, if you didn't have to deal with the crick, the crick in your neck—that's a technical term. Crick. Yeah, crick. Well, let's talk about space and scale. Now, this piece because it's a little more monochromatic, it's a little flat to me. Not in a bad way. I'm just saying, you know, relatively speaking, compared think, to the ceiling. Do you think it was a, a, a little bit more rushed? Or he didn't maybe care as much. I, I would, if I were to really think about it, I would say the second one. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, again, this wasn't a show about Michelangelo. You know, I didn't want to spend too much time on his biography. I and mean, of course, we have to talk about him a little bit. Well, I, you have to, though. I think it, it, there was a lot from from as much as I read about him. There was a lot of turmoil <laughs> through yeah. all of these through all of these years of being commissioned for this and that and yada, yada. Uh, he was hating himself. He was hating his work. He was hating his fame. I mean, like there was just a lot of drama in his life. Well, like every genius, there's there's definitely there's madness. Got to put it in um, the art. And put it yeah, in the art. and 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 I think that's why he's such an interesting figure is because of that. And because that's you know all all great figures in history, you know they don't really have boring lives. I mean, they have a lot of sure. one of the most vanilla like <laughs> people in history if you think about it that was kind of you know really it was kind of boring in, in some respects and don't kill me for saying this but just george washington besides like doing you know a lot of the stuff that he yeah but i mean you know yes he was the father of the country but at the same time comparative to a lot of historical figures i mean you know it's pretty and that's probably debatable you're the resident historian in the family i i i can't hold a candle to to what you know in that in that regard. Oh, I think, okay, let me say this. I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I, I think it just there's also something a little more sexy about the myth of the of the tortured artist soul. Yes. Too. Cause I imagine there's a lot of there's a and I think we could if I really thought about it, we could name some people here. T-Bow. I don't have anybody off the top of my head, but I, I think there's a lot of people that find success in art and other things, and they have very normal Oh yeah, yeah boring lives not oh, boring sure. but just you know just regular you know but there's something so sexy about wanting to learn about the tortured soul well you know every, and everybody loves a success story yeah but all that and but the, also the myth of the the lone you know ranger genius you know like i always oh, think of loner. Steve jobs like he was really in the fucking you know iphone plants like soldering making phones no no, he was. <laughs> it was the. It was the. I have. It was the director of it all. Spoken you know? to people that have worked with him in the past, and I'm not going to reveal any names on here. But they said it was horrible working for him. Well, I guess my point is that like it's just sexier to, and it's yeah. more appealing, yeah, to create this. You gotta this have the drama. Those about the people, yeah, you know, because like when I, I I'm using the example of of Jobs, Steve Jobs, uh, you know, he had movies 
about him and, and and his legacy like he was this lone you know genius and and don't get me wrong he like, arguably he is in a lot of ways but, but he had he, these a lot of team and a lot of things around him and probably so did michelangelo i guess is my point yeah yeah i mean well and that's and that's the truth behind everything i mean steve jobs where his genius was really in marketing and and not really um taking no for an answer and kind of going above and beyond things like the fact that he took a um what was it in college the little college that he actually went to uh the fact that he took a uh calligraphy class is why basically we have different fonts in our word processor that's not saying that we want to have that eventually but he was the one that was really focusing on typesets and things like that i mean little things like that where you know people didn't really think because it was outside of the box because the true genius behind, you know, developing the first Apple Apple computer was Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple. So we need to pull it back. We're did we did we did we go on a tangent? Here. We went on like the king of tangents, I no. think, on that one. That was a good tangent. It was just it was the point was uh, you know, there is there's just an appeal. I mean, well, in Michelangelo's case, God, now I have to backtrack a little bit. He did do a lot of this alone. He did yeah. do a lot of this by himself. But I'm just saying there's a there's a there's an alert to the mythos of really punctuating that, you know, yeah, he was a tortured soul or, he, you know, something like that. So let's uh, let's bring it on home. You know, before uh, we get into the gems, I want to talk about why we chose this, you know, and I think about these, you know, as uh, as we get into these conclusions as two just really big pieces, even though you could look at them as a lot of little pieces, you know, a lot of little paintings or frescoes. But to me, they're just two gigantic paintings. Yeah. And um, I I thought of other goats and that's greatest of all time. If you didn't know, if you didn't know the lingo, the vernacular I'm using. Yeah. Uh, A lot of other Renaissance painters, we, and we'll probably do shows on them. I just didn't, for some reason, I was feeling like this had to be talked about. The universe, universe was telling me again. And we have Da Vinci's The Mona Lisa and The Last Supper, Botticelli's The, Ver- the Birth of Venus, and Raphael's The School of Athens. But <sighs> T-Buck, take us home. I mean, there's something about this one that just, I don't know. It, you know, this is why there's a reason this is celebrated and not like amazing scientists and stuff. You know, like there's something that uh, creates a magic in it you know we've talked about this in other shows yeah well for one the time period there was a lot of things that were going on and a lot of important figures and it was kind of a big movement and just for humans as, as a whole but i think why this sticks with us is because it's just the beauty and art it's it's not it's not just a it is a religious piece of art but it was done in such a way that nobody had seen anything like it before or could imagine something could be like this. I think it was a game changer in a lot of ways of how we thought about uh, works of art. How, how, yeah, how they could be, what they could be, yeah, and how powerful they could be. Yeah, is it the most realistic paintings, the collection of paintings ever? No, it's uh, it's obviously an interpretation. Yeah, it's picture perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it you know there could be you know other people that have you know better techniques or things like that. But you know sometimes it's it's what really hits the emotional the, yeah. the tugs at Strings. your heartstrings. You know, it, yeah. it, it, if it, it hits emotional place in, in people, then that's really what makes it special. And I think you know it's amazing. It's been you know five hundred years. And we're still talking about something like this. Exactly. And yeah. that's what really tells you if you if you don't necessarily believe in an afterlife or anything or you believe in one. I mean, you know, what what's written down on paper and what people talk about is really how people live. And this is on uh, a lot. And this is definitely something that they'll still be talking about, I think, 500 years from now as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. I couldn't have said it better myself. But, you know, before we go, you know, we have a little icing on the cake, a little cherry on top. And that's what we call the gym of the week. Now, the gym of the week, if you don't know, is something we would like to talk about in the episode, but we just don't feel like it really fits into the scheme of the main body or meat of the piece. But we want to talk about it nonetheless. Uh, My gym, I'm going to go first because T-Buck usually has much more thoughtful gyms than I do. And uh, my gym is uh, kind of a mixed bag. You know, uh, I could I thought of 
painting specific episode and i know we'll do this one day and i feel like that is uh da vinci's mona lisa i feel like that is such a famous famous piece and honestly i think it's famous because it's famous <laughs> one of those like there's really no explanation um but then there is when you get really deep into it uh the other one is is just uh, do yourself an artistic favor and go to these things if you can afford it if you have time if you're young if you're old it doesn't matter Go to these things, make a uh, almost like a Mecca, you know, um, pilgrimage, if you will, to these kind of uh, showings and museums and pieces. It's, it's, it's really amazing and it'll change your life forever. And then the one that's not connected that I feel like I just wanted to talk about today is uh, I've been watching, um, I've been catching up with uh, Love, Death and Robots on Netflix. Talk about my fucking cup of tea. I love this art. I love. Have you seen this, T-Buck? No, I haven't. I I just finished. Oh my god! I just finished. The it's wire. all it's all kind of science fictiony, and it's all it's very artistic. It's a lot of. It was executively uh, produced by Fincher, David Fincher. Oh, yeah. And um and some other I people. sort of like that guy's works. So yeah, yeah, he's okay. No, I'm gonna give you the floor. A little different. I I appreciate that. Uh, uh, gems are are very more thoughtful. I, I wouldn't say this one is is the oh, thank I you. I, the I appreciate it. Uh, no, but actually, if we're staying in the same vein of artists and learning their technique, it's a documentary film called Tim's Vermeer, and uh, this is a film made by Teller and produced by Penn Jillette, so Penn and Teller. Oh, Penn and Teller, the magician. Yes, but uh, Johannes Vermeer, um, you know, one of the most famous artists painters of all time um he he was mainly known for his realism um and, and his painting and this uh guy uh this engineer uh tim jennison uh basically very well known in the technology community but basically kind of discovered possibly the technique that vermeer used to create these uh ultra realistic paintings and I don't want to spoil it for you, but um, it, it's I, I love the documentary. It's very fascinating. It came out in 2013. Check it out um, because if, uh, tell tell us again what it is. What's the name of it's it? It's called Tim's Vermeer. And the last it's uh, Tim and then Vermeer as Johans Vermeer. It's V E R M E E R. So Johans okay. Vermeer. You've seen Vermeer's paintings before. Um, Girl with a pearl earring. It's probably his most yeah. famous one. So. I was, I was, I actually worked out a big list of other uh, goats and other pieces that I know we'll eventually do. And Girl with the uh, Pearl Earring was one of them. Yeah, but I, I think before we do that, you definitely need to watch Tim's Vermeer. Um, okay. Because he, he does, he basically Oof. recreates the music lesson, um, which is another famous Vermeer painting. I don't want to spoil it for you because it is, it, if you like where mm. technology Intriguing. and and art, art meet. intersect this is definitely yeah. one of them okay see that was a thoughtful one i i i learned something new every every show with t-buck because we don't we don't reveal these until we do them uh on air they're so. little secrets for us uh so <laughs> sorry so thank you guys for listening again if you like that of course you can uh, check uh, our stuff out and us at our socials at 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 underscore Novo underscore Day and Day is D-E and at Novo Day Media. You can, of course, check out our specific products at Novo Day Media, excuse me, NovoDayProductions.com. And you'll, there you'll find things like the uh, the Entropy Sessions, Post Meridium, and Adulteration, along with audiobooks and some other really cool stuff and more to come on the horizon. So until then, be good to each other. And as always, good luck and Godspeed. We love you. Art of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions, created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media, at Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company, Facebook.com slash Aco Music 123, Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J E S T U S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved. It's where a lot of money is. <laughs>